This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we're honored to welcome to this program a great American, George Allen, former governor from the Commonwealth of Virginia. And this past week, the events in the Commonwealth of Virginia shook our nation, and it certainly sent a loud signal to Washington, D.C. and the rest of the nation. The Republicans won three top statewide offices in Virginia and flipped the House of Delegates. And one of the leaders who was on the ground guiding and helping key top candidates was none other than our next special guest, Governor George Allen. George Allen served the Commonwealth of Virginia for more than 20 years as governor in both bodies of the United States Congress and as a delegate holding Thomas Jefferson's seat in the Virginia General Assembly. Sworn in as governor in 1994, George Allen brought sweeping reform that made Virginia a national model in economic development, public safety, education accountability, and creative government. As a self-described common-sense Jeffersonian conservative, Allen pushed through cutting-edge reform with bipartisan support in a legislature held by the opposition. Elected to the United States Senate in 2000, George Allen continued to advocate policies to make America and Virginia a leader in innovation and technology. And on this note, we extend to Governor George Allen a warm welcome to America's Roundtable. A good morning, sir, and welcome. Welcome, Governor Allen. Thank you. Well, good morning to you, Joel and Natasha. Good to be with you and all your great patriotic, informed, and educated listeners. Absolutely, sir. Over the past year, you have been busy, very busy working with candidates who were running for key seats in the Commonwealth of Virginia and spending time on the campaign trail meeting with Virginians. You spend considerable time with Glenn Youngkin, now governor-elect. For our listeners in the Midwest and the South, many are interested in hearing about what transpired in the Commonwealth of Virginia and that created the shockwave where Democrats lost key statewide offices. Governor Allen, what did you notice on the ground when meeting with voters, parents, families, and business leaders, and what were they saying about the direction of the Commonwealth of Virginia and the state of our nation? All right. Well, that's a lot. And I, I was on the trail a great deal speaking to a lot of groups for Glenn Youngkin. I was also on a bus or RV tour with Jason Miares, uh, who was elected as our attorney general. And uh, Virginia loves their history. And Glenn Youngkin's win was historic, but not as historic as some other aspects. Winston Sears is the first African-American woman uh, to elected to statewide office in Virginia. Jason Miares is the first Latino. He's the son of an immigrant, of immigrants from Cuba. He's the first Latino elected to statewide office in Virginia. And it, here, here's what we heard from the voters. And by the way, I consider the people, 
the owners of the government. Absolutely. And the owners of the government spoke on election day in Virginia. And I think they gave a vote of confidence to law enforcement officers. They gave a vote of confidence to parents being involved in the education of their children. And they gave a strong vote of confidence to free people and free enterprise and making our, our state more competitive for investment and jobs. I think a lot of them said, I just would hear it, especially with this pandemic that exacerbated it. You know, various states were governed differently during this pandemic. Um, I like the governance in Tennessee and Texas and Georgia and South Dakota, Nebraska, Oklahoma and those states. Virginia was very halting, very restrictive. There were states worse than Virginia, but we also border Tennessee and folks in Southwest Virginia Bristol, the state line goes right through the, the, you know, one side you're on Tennessee at the state street, one side of the double yellow lines, Tennessee, the other is Virginia. And I have a lot of friends in Upper East Tennessee who, who own businesses, restaurants and stores and shops. And, and with Virginia locked down and shut down, they said, we really appreciate the governor of Virginia because people from Virginia would go across. In fact, it was so bad with the uh, spring football in high schools that they had all these restrictions on people, parents watching their kids' high school football games so that the Bristol, Virginia high school team played in Tennessee so their families and could watch them. I had a, a nephew at JMU, James Madison University, they made the playoffs. They only allowed 500 people in this whole gigantic outdoor stadium in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Meanwhile, you watch the Lady Vols playing indoors basketball team at Tennessee and Knoxville Indoors, you know, they had it at a, a frag, you know, it wasn't full, but they had thousands of people indoors, lady balls, but in Virginia, you had that. So here's what I think people are saying. They're saying, stop telling us how to live our lives. And they wanted the state government to start doing what it's supposed to do more efficiently. And I've always felt, and I think this is the way Virginians feel, and I think people all across our country is that. The top two responsibilities of a state government are education and law enforcement. And the way you pay for it is with a strong, vibrant economy where people are working and businesses are prospering and you get the revenues in to pay for it. The people are just sick of, of these dictates, these shutdowns. They want to fire the parole board because they were letting out uh, repeat offenders, cop killers, uh, and all sorts. And, you know, most people... If they think about it, if you think of what's the best social program of all, it's a job. That's right. Yeah. You're providing for yourself and your family. And another big issue in this campaign had to do with our right to work law. When I was governor, I spent more time on recruiting investment and jobs to Virginia. And the first words out of my mouth were, Virginia's the furthest state north on the eastern seaboard with a right to work law. If a state does not have a right to work law, they're not even on the field of competition to lose. And, and this was an issue. The unions are piling literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions, in fact, dollars into Virginia. And Glenn Youngkin was standing firm uh, for our right to work law. And, and Terry McAuliffe was, was very, at best, ambiguous. But you knew darn well if they repealed it, he would sign it. And so there were a lot of issues. But most of all, people, wanted safe communities, high academic standards and safety in schools, and they wanted Virginia to get much more competitive. You know, I know you have listeners in the South, 
And Glenn Youngkin would point out how Virginia was lagging our competitor states. We're not, we're not much competition. We easily beat the states to our northeast. That's not our competition. Our competition is Tennessee, the Carolinas, Georgia, and Florida. And Glenn Youngkin and all these final rally speeches would point out how North Carolina was growing at eight times Virginia's rate, Tennessee growing at six times in jobs and population. So Virginia is going to get much more competitive. And I, I love what Glenn Young had said. It's same as what I said when I was governor, which is we want the world to know Virginia is open for business. Absolutely, <laughs> Governor. That's right. Actually, Virginians, as well as majority of Americans, are mostly concerned about three major issues that prevailed in the elections debates. Education, yeah. inflation slash economy, and crime, yeah. with the murder rate increasing by 43% in Virginia yeah. during Democrat candidate McAuliffe's tenure as governor. And by voting Republican, Virginians, who you said actually people are uh, owners of the government, so Virginians gave their consent for school choice, for reducing state taxes, for strengthening law and order. And isn't this race also a referendum on Joe Biden's presidency, which moved too far to the left? Yeah, uh, Natasha, you're right on target. Well, let's just go with, with law enforcement first. People are backing law enforcement officers. I was actually in rooms with Jason Meares on this RV tour with sheriffs and local prosecutors who had been elected as Democrats. And they say the policies of the Democrats were, were making it difficult for them to provide and serve the people you know, safely in their counties. These Democrats either left the party, became independents, but they endorsed Glenn Youngkin and Jason Meares and Winston Sears. What the Democrats were doing is, is we, we put a truth in sentencing in Virginia when I was governor, but people convicted prior to 1995 still had parole and they were letting these folks loose. Then during this pandemic, you had these, these densely governed cities such as Richmond that told the police to stand down. And when you tell the police and law enforcement to stand down, what you get is you get rioting, you get arson, you get looting. And, and businesses didn't open up. The ones that opened up moved out of the city of Richmond. And so when there's not law enforcement around, or if you reward criminal behavior, you're going to get more criminal behavior. And so this was a stand to back the police, not to defund them, not to uh, find new ways to sue them in court, but to make sure they have the proper training, the proper equipment. It's a very tough job. You know, we're here on radio. Law officers every day, they go to work, they have to put on a bulletproof vest and their families hope and pray they'll come home safely. That's right. And it's not a high paying job. And we and right now in Virginia, I think this is happening across the country, is it's hard to retain law officers and it's very difficult to attract and recruit new ones with this mindset. So that was important. And education, what the Democrat, the Northam McAuliffe administration did in education is we had high academic standards when we, I was governor. And they stayed in even through Mark Warner's term. Uh, you know, Democrats, Republicans kept it. The last eight years, though, because some schools were failing, they dumbed down the standards. They lowered the standards. And instead of young people learning how to read and write and speak the English language, and learn higher levels of, of math and science and economics and, and the history of our state, our country, and major civilizations, 
in the world, they've, they've done away with any history testing. So if you don't test it, they're not going to teach it. And so they're dumbing them down. And I think what Glenn Youngkin's talking about is bringing back you know, high expectations rather than mediocrity for our students. And Virginia is just really behind other states as far as school choice and, and public charter schools. There are only eight, eight in the entire Commonwealth of Virginia. Maryland has, I don't know, it's something like 140. North Carolina's got 180 some. Again, with this pandemic, parents want schools open. They want them, kids learning in school. They're also paying attention to what the heck is being taught to their kids. Don't want indoctrination. And so I think public school, uh, charter schools, Glenn Youngkin said in his first session, he wants to have at least 20 opened up in Virginia as a, as a uh, down payment, so to speak, on what he wants to do. The other thing that Democrats did is there's a, this Thomas Jefferson High School. It's a science and technology high school, number one ranked high school in the country. The, most of the students are Asians, and it's, it's pure meritocracy. And that's what you should have, meritocracy, level playing field. You don't care about someone's race, religion, gender, uh, ethnicity, compete. Well, Asians do very well in those areas. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter, they do. So what they've done is taken away some of the slots and allocated slots based on people's race and ethnicity. And Asians in Northern Virginia looked at this as discrimination against Asians because of, of that social engineering in a, a wonderful governor's magnet type school. So I think that education will be top. Now, when you talk about inflation, Natasha, I, I, I would just, you know, when I'd give speeches, I'd say, hey, any of y'all been to a gas station lately? Heck, the conversations at gas stations are just, you know, something. I mean, the gas is going up five or six cents a week and sometimes 10 cents a week. And I remember a lady at, at, a, at a Sam's Club where the gas prices are less and she had her Sam's Club outfit on. And she said, gosh, the gas price has gone up eight cents just since last week. And she says, yeah, $30 does not fill up my tank. This is a real life world people. Uh, and, I, and, you know, the reality, and this is where Biden is at fault and federal government policies. First act of the Biden administration, shut down the Keystone XL pipeline from our friends in Alberta, Canada. Then he lets Russia build a gas pipeline to Germany so that they could be captive customers of Russia. Now he's begging Saudi Arabia to increase oil production. How about asking the folks in Louisiana and Texas and New Mexico and Oklahoma and, and North Dakota to increase oil and gas production in our own country? We're, we're blessed to have the most energy resources in the world, thanks to our coal, oil, and natural gas and the, and the creativity and innovation of the free enterprise system to get into horizontal drilling and, and fracking, uh, which has just been fantastic. But these greens, this Green New Deal, these type of folks look at this as a curse. It's a blessing we have these energy resources. And, and the one thing that people resonated, words I'd say, I said, I said the other side are not progressives. Their policies are regressive. And this is what's going on in Virginia with their, their clean energy nonsense, is that electric bills are going to go up $800 a year, and that's a minimum. And gasoline prices are going to keep going up with the stuff that they're doing. And so who is hurt the most by 
Are they these folks flying in their private jets to Glasgow for some COP21 meeting or some UN climate change conference in Cancun or Paris? No, they, 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 whatever it is, they can afford it. They're, they're millionaires, billionaires. It is hardworking, lower and middle income working families that are hurt the most by having to pay unnecessarily higher prices for their gasoline, for their food, for their electricity. And this is, this is where I think there was an uprising of common sense in Virginia. And I think you'll see this across the country because people do pay attention to how much they're paying for gasoline. And it's not something that's lost and withheld in their tax returns or you know, paycheck. This is something that people feel. And, the, and, it, and when you have high energy costs, that reverberates throughout the, the, the entire economy because of the transportation costs. Farmers use a lot of energy to grow our crops and transport it. And, and you need refrigeration. I mean, it just, it just multiplies throughout our whole economy and causing unnecessary inflation because there's no reason why Americans should have any of these shortages of food or electricity or high electricity or high gas gasoline prices because we have the supply, we have the demand. What's missing is the leadership to unleash those energy resources. Right. And the gubernatorial elections in the Commonwealth of Virginia have been a leading indicator of the following year's midterm elections. And if we look at Republican victories in Virginia in 1993 and 2009, they were followed by GOP taking over the control of the U.S. House of Representatives in the following years. Uh, Governor Allen, is this election a preview of what is going to happen at the national level next year? What are your thoughts? I sure hope so, Natasha. You know, 1993, I won. We won big. We, we won 58% of the vote. Uh, Christy Todd Whitman won in New, in, in New Jersey. Rudy Giuliani got elected in New York City. Crime was rampant in Virginia and also New York City. And that was a reaction. There's a, some similarities. You know, you brought up earlier crime going up in Virginia. Even New York City, the Democrats in the Democrat primary nominated and elected the person who said, no, we can't be having the police off the streets or defund the police. Even the liberal, out-of-touch, woke Democrat voters in New York City uh, elected, nominated, and elected a former police officer who will hopefully make New York City safer. So there's that similarity. And I think you even see it in the referendums up in Minneapolis. The people who are for defunding the police were very well-educated white liberals. The polls for African-Americans, it was supported by 14% of African-Americans. A lot of folks don't recognize that most of the, the victims of crime are, are minorities. And so if you remove the police, they're gonna have more minorities that are, are injured or robbed or, or killed by it. So I think that in 1993, in fact, I love listening to Newt Gingrich because he said that we in Virginia were, we put in comprehensive welfare reform because we thought able-bodied, able-minded people should not be you know, eternally dependent on the government for, for their welfare. So we said, if you're able-bodied and able-minded, you only can get benefits for two years over a five-year period. A mother who comes on welfare uh, has to identify the name of the father or you get zero. And if you have more children while on welfare, you get zero increases. Now we got sued over all of this, but we won. 
And Virginia still has the highest paternity identification rate, over 99% in Virginia. You talk to the local social service folks and they said, how's this working? Uh, and they said, it's working great. All of a sudden, uh, they not only know the name, here's the address, here's the car, and so forth, because if a, a father's not going to be with the child and helping rear the child, he's, he's going to be financially responsible because we wanted to have the father of children being at least financially responsible. Now, Newt Gingrich and them, when they took over in 1995, they, after the 94 elections, they pushed through welfare reform and they used Virginia and also Wisconsin and, and Michigan as example of states that have put in welfare reform, and we did it the most comprehensively in Virginia, but regardless, that helped them at the federal level get President Clinton to support welfare reform. So in my view, at the federal level, to the extent in a congressional race, you have similar issues, yes, it can resonate. The federal government's top responsibility is national defense and national security. But on the energy front, the energy issues on high gasoline prices, high food prices, all these supply chain problems, that is something that the federal government's involved in. And right now you have the Biden administration, their policy as far as energy is keep it in the ground and thinking we're going to run our economy on intermittent costly sources of energy, such as solar, which, which can be a part of it, and offshore wind, which is really costly intermittent approaches. So I think that these the, the next year's elections will be good for people who for common sense, conservative ideas. You know, one of the things that Tasha and Joel, oh gosh, if Congress could pass these bills, you know, all this, this these bills they're passing, wouldn't that help the Democrats? I said, the bills that they're talking about would only be, be tougher on, on small businesses with more regulatory more costs. The, the cost of electricity would only go up. There's nothing nothing in there that would ameliorate at all the cost of gasoline or diesel fuel. It'll only make it worse. I said, no, the, the best thing for our country is nothing happened because all of those proposals are so, so such a hindrance on free people and free enterprise and, and affordable cost of living. It would only make the cost of living even more uh, of a problem. Governor Allen, we truly appreciate your clear insights, your recommendations in advancing freedom and the important constitutional principles and the tremendous work that you have undertaken this past months and over the years in, in engaging with Virginians and our fellow Americans on saving America. And so we truly thank you for your continued leadership, Governor Allen, and thank you so much for joining us on America's Roundtable. Thank you, Governor Allen. Well, thank you, Natasha. Thank you, Joel. It's a pure delight to be on with both of y'all. And America's Roundtable needs to be like a kitchen table where you have free people and free enterprise being trusted rather than a few elites trying to tell us how to live our lives. We have enough common sense. We may not always make the right decision, but they'll be honest decisions. And that's who we ought to trust. We, the people. Well said, Governor Allen. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. 
This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.